morning. And ask you a quick question. Uh, for as a follower of Jesus Christ, why is today a better day than yesterday? Ooh, I'm gonna stick this right. Oh, I better put it on the ground. Why is today a better day than yesterday? <laughs> That's good. It's a better day than yesterday because we're one day closer to heaven, amen? Now, the converse of that is why, for someone who doesn't know Jesus, why today's a worse day than yesterday? It's because they're one day closer to eternal damnation, which is something we don't really think a whole lot about in church. We don't preach a lot about it in church. And if you go back to the early days of America and you listen to some of the great sermons of the Puritans and all the original men of God who led our country to be a Christian nation at one time, they spoke about hell all the time. Because it's difficult to understand love unless you understand the sacrifice that was provided, right? So let me give you an example. If I was dating my wife, I think I've said this before, and I, we went on our first date, and that first date I said to her, I love you, and then shot myself, would that show her that I loved her? No, she would go, man, I dodged a bullet with that one, no pun intended. Some of you are just getting that. But if we were on that date, and we were dating a while, and we were walking somewhere, and two undesirable people came up and were going to threaten our lives and they were going to shoot her and I stood in front of it and took the bullet for her and died, do you think she'd recognize then how much I loved her? She would. It's hard to talk about the love of Jesus if we don't understand the purpose for his love was to save us from eternal damnation, right? It's interesting because when we look at Scripture in America today, uh, about eight to nine out of every ten Americans believe in God, so to speak. But less than half believe there's a hell. Isn't that funny? We can believe there's a God, but we don't believe in the things he says to us. And it's kind of interesting, Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor, I believe herein lies the problem. He said this, is, let God have your first awakening thoughts. This is how he's saying how a Christian should start his day. Lift up your hearts to him reverently and thankfully for the rest and the joy the night before. And cast yourself upon him for the day which is to come. Familiarize yourself so consistently to this that your conscience may check when your common thoughts shall first intrude. Think of the mercy of a night's rest and how many that have spent that night in hell. Suffering and agonizing, weary of their beds and of their eternal life's destiny. When's the last time you thought about someone who could be in hell and recognize that Jesus Christ came to tell us it was unnecessary? The world is lost, there's no doubt about it, right? There's no sense of gravity anymore in America when it comes to sin. We look at things so differently. We tend to rationalize everything. There's a moral decline in America that is unprecedented. We see that in things like divorce, right? Back in the 1950s, divorce was less than 5%. It's six times that today. It's amazing how our theology changes when it happens to us. 
sex before marriage and things like that that we know are antithetical to the Word of God, America celebrates. You can turn on your TV and you go to On Demand on Comcast to look for a movie. There's maybe one in seven that has content that's worthy of, of watching. Why? When I was growing up, everything was good moral stories. How many watched Family Classics? Awesome. Taught really good truths to live your life by. We don't see the effects of sin in America, and we tend to rationalize it. When we look at divorce, how it's ravaged our families, how it's held kids to grow up with you know, self-esteem issues, confidence issues, identity issues. We wonder why in America we could actually be having people say, I think I am a different gender. It's absurd. Think about this. I had a laugh the other day. I was reading an article about a a gentleman uh, who was suing because he wanted to change his legal age. He said, I feel like I'm 50. I don't feel 69. He also admitted it would help him get more dates online if he was 50 versus 69. And we would say, how absurd, but we let other things go that way because you know what? We rationalize behavior and thinking that is antithetical to the Word of God. Let me give you a biblical definition of rationalization because we do that when it comes to hell all the time, and I'm going to get into that. Rationalization is allowing my mind to find reason to excuse What my spirit knows is wrong. Can you hear that? That's rationalization. And here's the thing. We do it all the time in America. And here's the sad thing about it is is that we have to recognize that, you know what, we can't give up fighting sin just because we can explain how it happened. Paul says that we are... To, you know, to stand and take our shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flames of the evil one. In other words, we're to fight the idea that sin is the inevitability of life, that it can't be overcome, that it can't be defeated. And so what do you do? We rationalize that it's part of life and it should be accepted, and in some cases in America, glorified. And it's interesting because Jesus made it so easy for us to deal with the sin issue. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, Jesus wanted to make it real easy to take sin out of our lives so that we can have a relationship with him and his father. So he went to the cross and he died on the cross at Calvary and shed his blood, innocent blood, for our sins so that they may be forgiven so that we can have a relationship with God. That's the gospel. That's the truth. And that's what he died for, for us to know, because he wanted to have a relationship with us. He didn't want us to dismiss sin. He recognized it's a part of everyone's life. But he wanted to make it easy by the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives to turn from that sin and repent and move back towards him. That's why he came. See, God can have nothing to do with sin, the Bible tells us. And in that context for us, it's not a, a somewhat of an object thing. It's a reality of who we are. So if God could have nothing to do with sin, is it stand to reason that he can have nothing to do with sinners? Think about that. 
which is why he sent his son. He didn't want the world to be condemned. He didn't want the world to all experience hell. John 3, 17, which comes after the famous verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe it on him shall have eternal life. He went on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. One of my favorite preachers of all time, Adrian Rogers, said this, I believe that the great number of people are going to die and go to hell because they're counting on their religiosity in the church instead of their relationship with Jesus to get them to heaven. They give lip service to repentance and faith, but they never are born again. See, he makes this correlation, if you listen to that, between believing and how we act. If I was to say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, it should be reflected in the way I think and thus the things I do. Just like this. If you told me that next Friday the market was going to crash, if I believed you, I would go get all my money out of the stock market. If I had cancer and you told me the cure from cancer is to go into the Kankakee River and swim back and forth and do the breaststroke a couple times, I would, if I believed you, I would go and jump in the Kankakee River. But if I don't do those things, can I then later say, well, I believed you. Would you believe me? I lose all my money. Oh, I believed him. No, I didn't believe him because I didn't act on that belief. There's a correlation in Scripture between belief and the actions of one's life. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means the general trend of your life works towards holiness. God says that we are to be holy just as he, his Father in heaven is holy. It's a huge standard. We'll never attain it. Jesus knows it, which is why he came on the cross at Calvary and died for our sins. But here's the point. The Bible also said he's at work in us to do good things, which he prepared in advance for us to do, so our life should have things in it that reflect The love of Jesus in our lives impacting how we think and what we do. It's interesting. When uh, Spurgeon said it's a remarkable fact that no inspired preacher of whom have any record ever uttered such terrible words concerning the destiny of the lost as our Lord Jesus Christ. He talked about hell three times more than he talked about heaven. It's a tough subject. It's a tough subject today when we're going to go have a picnic and we're all going to go sit around and fellowship around the concept of hell. Probably bad planning, but is it? You know, it's interesting because when I first started talking and thinking about the message, I, I have difficulty. It's hard. It's a hard topic. I always seem to get the hard topics. <laughs> I got up this morning and saying, what am I going to wear when I talk about hell? I thought I'm going to wear a blue shirt because blue is the most pleasing color to eye because nothing else I'm going to say is going to be pleasing. So at least my shirt looks good. It's a tough subject. Who really wants to hear about hell? That's, I believe, where that, that saying that truth hurts is really all about because it does when it comes to the subject of hell. I remember my kids were so affected by it. My daughter, Brooke, when she was in school, uh, she was uh, first grade or second, what was it? First grade. And they had a parent's story day, and all the parents came. And as soon as I walked in the room, her girlfriend, Gianna, was in there. And, and uh, Brooke runs up to me and grabs Gianna, brings her to me, goes, tell her, tell her, Dad, that hell is real. 
And then the parents come up, and I'm going to meet them. And she goes, tell them, Dad, that hell is real. And I said, well, Brooke, we believe in the Bible, and the Bible says it is, and thus we take it as it is. And so, but here's the thing. Do we as a church believe that hell is real? I'm going to tell you some things about hell to remind us what the Bible says about hell that hopefully will stir you to realize that, man, how could I ever let anyone go to hell? It's a horrible thought when you really get a concept of what hell is. Hell is eternal, first of all. Matthew 25, 46, and says, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's forever and ever and ever. That's why you know in Scripture that God's making a point about eternity when he says forever and ever, and he adds that and ever. It's eternal. Let me tell you something. That's why, you know, John wrote in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Eternity is too long to be wrong. It is just too long to be wrong. And let me tell you something. I'm, I'm so thankful for that scripture. I remember my, my uncle Kenny, he was a, really wasn't my uncle by uh, birth, but he was a really good friend of the family. His wife uh, died. I had three cousins with him, and uh, they were all around my age, and we had a lot of fun together. And his wife died. She had breast cancer. And this was back in, in the early 70s. And uh, we had spent a lot of time with him for a long time, and then something happened, and we didn't. But then I found out he was dying. And uh, I went to the house to see him. And uh, when I went to his room, his kids were in the kitchen. We had our pleasantries, and I went back to see Uncle Kenny, and I can tell and I can sense the fear he had. And I, and I looked at him, and I said, Uncle Kenny, I, I, I says, are you afraid? And he says, yeah. And I said, well, let me tell you something. And I pulled out that verse that he wrote these things that we may know we have eternal life. And I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And he says, I do. Do you believe he died on the cross for you? for the, a penalty for your sin. I do. Well, the Bible says then, you know what? You're saved. There's nothing to fear. And it was like this thing came over to him. He smiled. And he said, thank you. Thank you. He died the next day. Let me tell you something. Hell is too long, too brutal for us not to be on point when it comes to sharing about what Jesus did so nobody would have to go there. Eternity is too long to be wrong. So hell is eternal. Hell is a place of pain. In the passage that we read, it says that whoever causes, I mean, a a different passage in Mark says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for them if a great millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, this is how serious God takes sin. Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter the lame and, uh, with two feet than to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. 
It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Isn't that just, God is trying to say, he's not telling you to go do that, but he's trying to tell you how serious sin is and what it will do to you when you let it take hold of your life. The interesting thing he says here, because the Bible does say we reap what we're going to sow, and it says where there, I want you to see that, where their worm does not die and the fire is quenched. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, the word there. A lot of people always say the. It's an interesting commercial, and it's for uh, eczema on TV, and it starts off with um, these different things of this person, like hair growing through their shirt and you know, the, this giant area that's affected. Well, it used to start off with a person washing their hands, and when they were washing their hands, there were all these little tiny worms all over their hand. You remember that? They, they took it off. You know why? Because it was too repugnant for people to watch. Got the point across. But let me tell you something. The Bible does say you reap what you sow, and not everybody gets what they deserve in this life. And that whole point is that that torment is going to be personal. That pain is going to be personal. Those worms are going to be your worms for the things you did. Not for anyone else's, but for you. It says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, for everyone will be salted with fire. Matthew 13 says, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there were weeping and gnashing of teeth. In hell there will be weeping, unconsoled sorrow, and gnashing of teeth. You know what gnashing of teeth is, right? When you get angry, you grit your teeth because you're mad. It's the same thing constantly. It's not a fun place to be. It's a place of torment. Daniel 12, 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Isn't that interesting? The, the rich man in the story was able to see across the chasm, knowing what could have been. What contempt he must have for the fact that he was there. What torment that must brought him to see what could have been and never will be. It's an agonizing thought. Have you ever done something in your life and you thought, oh my gosh, why did I do this? Huh? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why didn't I do that? Or didn't I say that? You agonize over it and it's painful to you. No matter how many years go away and you think about that time, you agonize over it. That is what hell is on steroids. Torment because of what you didn't do in regards to Jesus. Hell is also a place of sadness. Dante's Divine Comedy, there's a chapter on it that uh, most people have read the book if you've been through any kind of advanced education. And when you look at it, there's a chapter called Inferno. In Inferno, that chapter, it's about a man who goes through hell and to get to heaven. And in that chapter, it says on the, the gates of hell, there's a sign, and the sign says, Abandon hope, all who enter here. And it's true. That's not where you want to get your theology, but it's true. A lot of religions have things like 
praying for the dead, somehow that they're able to pray them out of hell. And some have baptism by proxy where they're able to baptize someone in someone else's place to get them out of hell. But Jason's right when we started off that it's appointed on the man once to die and then judgment. There's no other thing that can happen once you die. The decisions you made in this life are sealed and you will find your eternal destiny based on those decisions. Let me tell you something. The rich man, you don't find him partying. He had no friends in hell. He was agonizing. You hear a lot of people say, oh, hell's going to be a fun place. All my friends are going to be there. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There's going to be a lot of people there, I'm sure you know, but you won't know and you won't think about that because there's no party going on there. No one to say good morning. Just think about this this morning when you got up and my daughter said good morning and I said good morning. Not in hell. There is no good morning. There is no good night. There's just agony and sadness. For hell is a place of isolation. Matthew 8, 12 says, While the sons of this kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I was in the army, and I remember going on a night patrols, and it was so dark you couldn't see in front of your face. And although I knew guys were in front of me and behind me on our, on our, on our patrol, I couldn't see anything. And it at times you'd get separated and you'd be by yourself and you'd fear this fear because you don't know where you're at, you don't know where anybody else is at and you're all alone. You're isolated and you can't see anything. To me, when you're in hell, you're isolated. You are alone. The agony for some people is just unbearable, which is why it's called hell. Hell is also a place of separation. To me, I would never, ever, ever think about it again, but I heard a, actually a, 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 an evangelist's daughter say, hey, never tell anybody to go to hell. It's the worst thing you can say to someone. And if you really grasp what hell is, it's true. It's true. It was Billy Graham's daughter. It's amazing. Billy Graham was heralded as one of the greatest evangelists ever. And you know what? He probably preached more on hell than anything else in his sermons because he knew that people were on the precipice of life-ending circumstances that they had no idea when they were. And he thought the most important thing I could tell people no matter where I go is that Jesus loves you and he loves you to save you from eternal damnation. And it was powerful. Jesus didn't want it. I, I don't want anybody to go to hell, even my worst enemy. We shouldn't want it as a church. Sometimes we see people who are public figures who do everything to destroy Christianity, and sometimes in the back of my mind I'm thinking, oh man, you don't know what you got coming to you. And in some sense, it gives me, I don't know, a little sense of justice, but at the other time I realize, oh my gosh, what does that mean? We always say, oh, Lord, please come, hurry. But when Jesus comes, for those who know him, it's going to be utopia. It is going to be awesome. But for every person we know that doesn't, it's an eternity without him. It's eternity of torment, of pain, of suffering, of isolation, of sadness, no hope. 
I don't know if we think about it enough, or rightly so. And if that be true, the question for all of us this morning is, what are you going to do about it? Who are you going to tell? The problem is we don't want to talk about hell today in our culture because you know what happens is people get offended or they'll think like, oh, how archaic that you can believe in some concept like that. Does that make it not true? The enemy's good at deceiving everybody. I love what Spurgeon said. Satan can make a man dance upon the brink of hell as though they were on the verge of heaven. Isn't that true? You can have people go through life thinking they're going to heaven and it's all cool, right? Because we all realize that sometimes is that we see how many people are really good. That, I mean, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a place where you knew when you went to a funeral that that person was not a good person, whoever it may be? Would anybody ever say that person's not in a better place? That person's, you know, not at peace. It's interesting. We have a hard time. Now, I recognize Scripture says there was no one good but God, but I just want to pull that aside because it's true. But in our own minds, in our own culture, in America and in the world, we all think there's good people, don't we? Let me tell you something. If Scripture is right, there's good people in hell. The rich man, in some regards, you could say was a good person. You're going to say, Pastor Mike, how would you think and know he's a good person? Well, he's a rich guy, right? And rich people, if I came home today and there was a homeless person in my driveway begging, would I call the police and say, hey, get rid of this guy, right? He was a rich man, and back in that day, you would go, he would allow that man, it said he was laid there. In other words, he was brought and allowed to rest there in front of the rich man's house. Because Why? Because rich people know other rich people or people who want to be rich people. And he thought if he laid there, he would get offerings from rich people as they come to visit the rich man. That was a good thing that he let him do. I mean, think about it. When I was a young kid, when Halloween came, I always went to the bigger houses because they always had better candy, didn't they? (laughs) Not that I'm an advocate of trick-or-treating. just want to go on record and say that. But it's true, right? My brother-in-law goes garbage picking sometimes, and he'll drive to the really nice neighborhoods because they got better garbage. (laughs) It's amazing what he's found in the garbage. Let me tell you something. There are going to be good people in hell, but they're going to be good people in our eyes and not in God's. See, hell is a place for people, sinners, who reject Jesus. See, morality will keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep you out of hell. Plain and simple. I mean, we, we struggle with that in America. I don't want to get political, so please forgive me. But let me just say one thing. So in our culture, we accept sin. The Bible says, be wary when they say evil is good and good is evil, right? So in our culture today... Um, on the issue of homosexuality, we have a lot of issues, right? The Bible makes some very definitive statements about it. And I know a lot of men and women who are gay, and you know what? They're really, by the world standards, good people. They have good hearts. That doesn't mean they're not going to an eternal damnation in hell. I mean, that sin so offended God that he once brought hell out of heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet we just don't give it two thoughts. And we don't call it for what it is. Now, we need to do it lovingly on any sin. 
We need to do it compassionately because we know the consequences. And we, need know, we have to recognize the human weakness. But at the same time, we need to be bearers of the truth and love that these men and women are loved by God and need to hear the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ and so be saved from thinking that has been corrupted over years. Let me do one demonstration for you real quick. I need a couple of volunteers. John, can I have you? So, John, I want you to stand right there over there. Um, John, you represent Adolf Hitler. So, John is, I don't have, no, get over here. You got to stand here. Jenna, can you come here real quick? Can you stand over there by the cross? Jenna, you re- represent Jesus Christ, right? Because she's, you know, it's the better half, the whole deal, right? Now, so this is the spectrum. Right? Uh, Robert, uh, stand up for a second. Uh, If I was the Apostle Paul, right, it's probably the second greatest man that ever lived, bar John the Baptist, right? The Bible said he was the greatest man that ever lived. If I'm uh, Paul, the Apostle, where would you place me in this spectrum between the most vile sinner that I think most know and the perfect one? Where would you place me in here? Where would you place me? me? Show me where you'd place me if I was Paul. Where would you put him? Don't be theological on me. Just show me where you're going to put me. In this spectrum, where would you place Paul? Where would you place him? Like closer to here? Yeah, closer to there. Why? Because he was an apostle? Was he a sinner? Didn't Paul say he was the chief of sinners? In fact, um, R.C. Sproul did this to one of his class, and everybody did the same thing. They put him down by Jesus. But R.C. Sproul walked over and said, the apostle Paul would be right here. Because he was a sinner in need of a savior, just like Adolf Hitler. And because we don't think about sin the way we do think, we look at, oh, he was a good man. He wrote most of the, the, the New Testament. He was still a sinner in need of a savior. Jenna, you can sit down and uh, please do something with him. before we <laughs> See, we don't see sin as God sees sin. Something he could have nothing to do with that required a sacrifice that required him giving his own son. Isn't it amazing? We should see sin as God sees sin. Because in hell, there's good vision in hell. Look at the rich man. He said, the the rich man died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazarus' side. You know what? He didn't talk about what was down there other than what he was going through. And to me... That has to be the greatest example of FOMO ever, fear of missing out. He's down there seeing what's going on on that chasm, and he's begging for mercy. He can see. People in hell can see. There are good prayers in hell. He said, he called out to Father Abram, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. He was praying. There's good memory in hell. I mean, think about it. When you're walking around the other day, I was doing something, I caught this smell. And when I got that smell, it brought a lot of memories back to me. And, you know, it was a smell from my childhood. 
Smell has a way of bringing us back. Music, songs have a way of bringing us back. There's all these different things that jog our memory and bring us back to a different time and place with different people and circumstances. In hell, it's the same thing. You're going to have memories. Verse 25, but Abraham said, Child, remember when you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. Now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. To me, hell is a place where you're going to wish you could forget but you won't be able to. It will be chock full of regret. There's good theology in hell too. There's no atheists in hell. No one doesn't recognize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They all will recognize truth. Philippians tells us that, 2.10, it says, So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone. <clears throat> Oprah Winfrey. Anybody you can think of that's famous is going to kneel before Jesus Christ one day and all those who deny him, and they're going to say, Jesus Christ, you are Lord of all. They won't believe it. They'll be in agony when they say it. And they'll be in torment forever because they didn't accept it. There's good priorities in hell. And he said to Abraham, Then I beg you, Father, to send my, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they, he may warn them, lest they also come into this place. Isn't it funny? God forbid that we let the population of hell be more concerned about who's going to hell than the people in the church are about who's going to hell. Let me tell you something. He had five people on his prayer list. How many do you have this morning? Do you even have who's your one? Think about that. And lastly, there's good intentions in hell. In my life, I've met very few people who just openly reject out of rebellion who Jesus Christ is. Most of them will say, yeah, okay, yeah. Like King Agrippa to Paul. Yeah, 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 that's cool. You almost thought you had me. And they may think of different things that they have that are an issue with God, the concept of God, the concept of heaven and hell. And they have good intentions in a lot of ways and They're really nice, but at the end of the day, the phrase says what? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. One can deny and refuse Jesus Christ through apathy and indifference and procrastination and even ignorance, or they'll get around to it. But here's the thing. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. No one. Which would give us a sense of urgency and a sense of drive to go out and share the love of Jesus and how and why he came to save us from a place called hell, which we deserve for our sin. Now, hell wasn't made for us. It was made for the devil and his angels, right? That's what the Bible tells us. But it's a place that we go, those who sort of do the work of the devil, right? It's sort of the fulfillment of total act of rebellion, when you follow Satan and his worldview. And it's subtle. You could be just like everyone else, but without Jesus, you will be like all who enter the gates where there is no hope. 
J. Vernon McGee said that, uh, don't say that a loving God is going to send you to hell. He is not. The thing is that's going to send you to hell is that you're a sinner and you just don't want to admit it. And so it is with people. Lester Roloff said, you're not going to be lost when you get to hell. Hear me when I say this. You're not going to be lost when you get to hell. If you are without Christ, you are lost right now. Your trial is already over. You've already been sentenced. You're just waiting for execution morning to come. And that's where a lot of people are at today. They're walking dead. And I'm not talking about the TV show. They're walking dead in their trespasses because they have no forgiveness of sin without Jesus Christ. And know how much you care about them or how much you love them or whatever it may be that is not going to be enough to get them and save them from the fires of hell. It it takes talking to them about who Jesus is and praying that the Lord works on whoever your one is that he would save them from eternal damnation. Because that was never his intention. It was never his intention. He told his disciples, he said, hey, look, and here's the good news about hell. You can escape it. In John 14, he said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. In other words, he's saying, look, hell is for those who can't accept who I am, what I've done with them, and why they need to believe in me. But I got to tell you, for all that do, I'm going and I'm building rooms on my dad's house for you. How cool is that? I get it. People don't want to hear it and people don't want to listen, but they need to hear it. And we need to be the ones telling them. I remember I was reading a story what happened in England. A a bridge went out and um, cars were driving off into this gorge with a river at the bottom to pair their pair dying one driver was able to stop before he got to the end he got out of his car just to have his car hit by another car and both went over the brink he started stopping other cars the police came they were trying to stop with other cars they were putting up some of those orange cones and while they were putting them up people were just driving right by One of the police officers said, I took the cones, I actually threw them at a couple cars to try to stop them, and to no avail. It was horrific. Should we, how would you feel if that was the case? You're driving to a bridge that's, you know, obviously you're certain debt, and when you drive by, there's a bunch of Christians on the sideline going, let me think about that. Or one of these things, like you're watching him go over. God forbid. God forbid we can't take the time to talk to a family member, a a loved one, a friend, a relative, a co-worker, and say, hey, where are you going to spend eternity? Have you ever thought about it? Let me tell you what the Bible says that there is a life after this life. The Bible says that God puts eternity in the heart of man. In other words, he gives you stuff to work with, doesn't he? Amen? So where are you at today? Does the 
prospect of hell motivate you to the place where you think, I've got to go and find so-and-so, and I've got to tell them what's in front of them. I've got to tell them what's, in, what's at stake. I've got to tell them what Jesus did for them. That should be us. We should be able to run out here, grab a burger before you leave, and then run out and go tell somebody about Jesus. That's the call of the church. How can someone believe unless someone tells them? Are you willing to tell? Are you willing to share? Let me tell you something. I, I know there's a lot of issues and the world's really messed up and there's chaos and people have kids living in, th- in sin that they shouldn't be living in. Friends and <coughs> some parents, some brothers and sisters. Here's the thing. I get it. You got to love them in the midst of that. But if you're not willing to tell them that, look, by the things you're doing in your life, it tells me you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because if it did, this would trouble you This would bother you, and you'd want to change. Because belief drives your actions. And so if you believe, you will change. It may take some time. It may not be up some ups and downs. But they've got to see it in us, and they've got to feel the love of Christ because we believe hell's real. And if we really believe hell's real, we would wish none should go there. Let us pray.